0: Okay, tonight I think honestly, at LCPC, we get to consider what is a really uh, exciting, uh, uplifting portion of scripture—a really exciting portion of scripture. Because tonight we're going to look at First Samuel chapter fourteen, and even there, just in the reading, you got the gist didn't you, of what is happening here. What we see is that Jonathan and his armour bearer they take on the might of the Philistine forces. And you heard that correctly. So, two, they hear, they take on, and they defeat in excess of thirty thousand enemy uh, forces. And I'll tell you why I think this is exciting. I think surely tonight, through His Word, we will hear from God a call to arms. That's what I surely think we will hear from God. That we will hear through these verses, that now is the time for LCPC to take action, that now is the time for for you and for me, for the Christians in here, to engage the world and to step forth into spiritual battle, a battle that in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can and we will win. Tonight is a call to arms. Let's jump into the text. First thing that we see here is godly act contrasted. Okay, the first thing that we've got is godly action, godly activity, and we see it contrasted. Now, in a very real sense, what we've got here tonight in front of us is the partner or is the accompaniment to what went before. So if you've been here at LCPC for the last number of weeks, do you remember what, what's happened? Do you remember the story? In chapter 13, what did we see? We saw King Saul, and he was put to the test. Do you remember this from a couple of weeks? Remember what the test was? The Philistine army they loomed large, and the question for Saul as king was: Was he going to be obedient to God's word? Like the enemy was there, was he going to panic? Was he going to bottle it, or was he going to wait seven days for Samuel? What happened, friends? Did he pass the test? He did not. Passed the test, did he? And that instead the Philistines, he disobeyed God, the Philistines won the war, we left things. You remember that the people of Israel were scuttling away, they, they were hiding in caves, they were hiding in holes. You remember this? Well as we, <coughs> excuse me, as we start chapter 14, the scene could not be more different. Because what we've got here is a really, at the start here, is a very tranquil scene. Okay, verse two what you have is Saul and he's really chilling out Saul the king is he's relaxing he's he's chilling out near his hometown of Gibeah. now if we're going to understand the start of this portion of scripture just a couple of details that I need to draw your attention to let's see if we can get these details first of all notice who Saul is with so let's look at it verse 3 who's he with who's he with Saul is with, uh, he's got his troops, or a few troops that are left, and he's with Ahijah the priest. And what do you say to me when I say to you he's with Ahijah the priest? You say, so what? <laughs> he's with Ahijah. what? Well, look look at the family line. Who's Ahijah the priest? He's the nephew of Echabod. Do you remember him? The glory has departed. Do you remember? And who else is in the family line? Eli, discredited priest. So do you see what it is that scripture is saying to us about Saul here? Saul's in a really bad spiritual place. That's what the message is here. You know the Samuel, the prophet of God, he's departed. Saul's taking advice from all the wrong people. He's in a bad place, a bad place. That's the first detail. Second detail is for you to notice exactly where Saul is. Have a look at verse 2. So we're told that he's staying in the pomegranate cave. Actually, tell you what, look at the footnote at the bottom of the page. You see it? Most of the commentators would agree that actually, where Saul is, he's sitting beneath a pomegranate tree. And what, what do you say when I say that to you? Saul's sitting b- beneath a pomegranate tree. What do you also say? Okay, you're know, <laughs> What difference does that make? He's sitting beneath a pomegranate tree. But don't you see, sitting beneath a tree in the Old Testament was a very, very significant thing to do. Like for a ruler to sit beneath a tree was actually the place of administration. It was actually the place of rule, of holding court. We see that with Deborah in Judges chapter 4. We see it in First Samuel chapter 22. So do you see the scene now? You've got King Saul, he's sitting beneath the tree, he's holding discussions, he's holding court, he's very chilled out, he's relaxed, he's very comfortable, he's just chatting, he's talking. Let me turn this over to you. Do you see the point that scripture is making to us in this portrait of King Saul? Do you see it? If not, consider this, that in this book, 1 Samuel, very often... The author makes the point by drawing to your attention a contrast. A contrast. And think about this chapter of scripture. What are we just about to go to? Jonathan and his amazing activity, his God honouring action. And before we get to that great activity, what is it the author does? What does he do? He draws your attention to Saul. Do you see what God is seeing to us? See what God is doing? He's drawing up to us a negative picture of inactivity. But this is a rebuke at the beginning of this chapter of Saul's spiritual malaise. It's lethargy, it's inactivity being criticized, rebuked by God. And isn't that challenging for us, for you? It's a congregation. Because think about our situation. We have not been placed by God in a village on the edge of a desert. We as Christians have been placed in smack bang in one of the biggest cities in all the world. What does that mean? Tonight and this week, masses of people out there. People who know nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. They know nothing of the gospel. I have to stand here and say, what are we doing about that? What are we doing about it? Really? I mean, is God here not perhaps rebuking our inactivity? Is this not a rebuke for you and, and for me? I mean, could it be that in this section here, that what God is doing is showing us the state of our hearts and the state of our congregation? Is it tonight that God is saying here, London City Presbyterian Church, we are sitting under a pomegranate tree. And what we're doing is sitting back, relaxing, that we as a church far too comfortable. Is it the case that God is saying to us tonight, we are fiddling while Rome burns? second thing here godly action is christ-centered so it's contrasted but it is also christ-centered did you notice as we move on this portion of scripture the strangest thing happens because all of a sudden the author he, he draws our attention to some very strange geographical details did you notice that we're told of this really steep gorge a ravine, a sort of canyon. Now, what we're supposed to understand is that this is a seemingly impassable uh, geographical obstacle. Like, Do you see that from verse 8? You see actually from the names uh, that are given here to the sides of the gorge. Look at it in verse 4. Do you see what it is? One side of the gorge is called, not Boaz, <laughs> not Boaz, but Boazes okay that's one side that means slippery okay and then the other side of this canyon is called sene which means thorny (laughs) you get the idea don't you one side of the canyon slippery the other side is thorny we get the idea this is an incredibly seemingly inhospitable impassable canyon now in light of that Isn't this plan of Jonathan's now comes to the fore, isn't it just the most remarkable thing? I wonder if the boys and the girls in here tonight, did you see what Jonathan's plan was? What does he want to do? He wants he and his armor bearer to actually climb up this almost impassable canyon, to climb up. And what do they do when they get to the top? What's the plan? They're going to take on an army. There's two of them. And they're going to take on tens and tens of thousands of people. Now, this is all of us in here. It's an amazing plan. How do you feel about the plan? Can I tell you how I feel about it? I'm jealous. Aren't you jealous? Like you look at Jonathan and look what he's doing for the glory of God. And the risks he's willing to take don't we want to do stuff like this? Don't we want to do great things, bold things, courageous things for our gods? And we're asking, aren't we, of the text, we're asking, Jonathan, how can you do this? Like, where do you get the courage, the boldness, the faith to do stuff like that? are we asking this? Do you know what? We're giving the answer. It's two of them. How does he do this? First of all, he does it out of a knowledge of his God. Look with me at verse 6. So Jonathan explains the plan to his armour bearer. what does he say in verse 6 he says to his armour bearer, it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord so do you see it there is this a twofold invocation of the divine name you know he repeats the name of Yahweh do you see it what is it that propels Jonathan out into such a bold act he has a personal relationship with God he knows Yahweh He knows what God is like. He knows that all things are possible to God. And that knowledge, it shoves him out. It propels him out in the boldness. But then the second thing, how can Jonathan do this? He can do it because he has a knowledge of what God has done in the past. You see, look at how verse 6 continues. Look Look what he says. He says to his friend, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. What are the next words? Nothing can hinder the Lord by saving by many or by few. I wonder if you see what's in Jonathan's mind. He's thinking, most commentators agree, he's thinking about Gideon there. It was recent history for Jonathan. And friends, you know the story of Gideon. I think some of the boys and girls have done the story of Gideon recently in Sunday school. You remember what happens with Gideon? What does God do? He whittles down this vast army. He's lower and lower. God keeps whittling down to just a few hundred people. And then what does God do? God uses that army for mighty things, for wonderful things, for great things. You see it. What pushes Jonathan out to boldness, courageousness for God? What does it? His knowledge of God. And his knowledge of what God has done in the past. I think that is important for you and for me. Let us call a spade a spade just for a moment. You've got to correct me later on if I'm wrong about this. Here's the thesis: I think every single person who's a Christian in here, and every single one who is born again, we want the same thing. We want to be used by God. Isn't that right? Like some of us maybe not on fire for Christ Jesus tonight. Some of us struggling spiritually. But even if we're there, isn't it true that everyone who is born again in this room tonight, we do, right, deep down in there maybe, but we do want to be used powerfully for the glory and for the honor of God. But you know what happens? We lose sight of that. And the week comes in, doesn't it? And the busyness and the activity of the week comes in and absolutely swamps us. Then what happens? The minister preaches about evangelism, and he preaches about witness, and how do we feel? We feel guilty. We suddenly, we lose sight of this, and we feel guilty. Now, is there anything that can break that horrific cycle? Is there? Yes! You know what it is! What do we do? We need to learn from Jonathan. We need to learn from these two stimuli. If you, friend, want to witness for Christ, what do you do? What was the first one? You grow in your knowledge of God! It's not about guilt. Not about duties, not even about responsibilities, but Christ Jesus. We grow in a relationship and we grow in a reliance and we grow in resting on Christ as the saviour of our souls. We want to witness, we focus on Jesus. What was the other one? We must grow in our understanding of what God has done in the past. What does that mean? Well, think of us just now. We're on the threshold of this anniversary. Are we? This great anniversary of the Reformation. How do we grow in knowledge of what God has done in the past? We can look at Just read about that stuff. How God in church history has used people like you. Not just great people. Oh wonderful people like you and people like me. Sinners. And he's used them for great things. Luther, Calvin, the Knox. The list goes on and on. can look at church history, but where else can we look? Come on. Where else do we look? We look to God's word. Don't we? We can look into scripture to see how God has used sometimes handfuls of people. Sometimes individuals, but sinners like you and like me. And he's used them for mighty, mighty, mighty acts. I'm asking you, do you want a witness for Christ? Do you want to do as Jonathan does? Do you want to engage the world? Where do we look? We look to Christ Jesus. We look to him to be emboldened for the battle third thing we see that godly action is confirmed godly action is contrasted it is christ-centered and it is confirmed i think it is quite interesting that though jonathan has got this great plan it's a pretty amazing plan it's interesting to note that he does not once he forms the plan he does not just go out into battle did you notice that you see what he does he actually seeks guidance from god i guess it's like gideon again with the fleeces this time but you gotta love (laughs) how brash it is do you see how he gets guidance from god what he does is he shows himself across this ravine to the enemy it's like wave into the philistines hi you know he seeks their attention And what's the sign? If the Philistines, if they say, right, we're coming to get you. then What does Jonathan know? He knows that God's not in this. But if the Philistines see him and they say, come and have a go, come on, come over to us, then what is it that Jonathan knows? He knows that God is behind this daring, this bold initiative. So do you see it? Isn't that important for us even what does Jonathan do? He seeks guidance before he goes out. But then, then the action starts. Isn't it wonderful? Like isn't it just an amazing story? Isn't it quite an exhilarating thing? Jonathan and his armor bearer, they scramble up this incredibly steep Hill and what do they do when they get to the top? It is, boys and girls, did you see it? It's out with the swords. (laughs) And it is amazing, it is exhilarating, isn't it? And Jonathan seems to knock down the baddies to the ground before his armor bearer comes in there with a sword and he finishes them off. It's absolutely amazing, it's incredible. But we're all asking a question at this point in the chapter, aren't we? We're a bit confused because yes, they do brilliantly. Did you see the figures? How many did they kill? They killed 20 people. Now there's two of them and they killed 20 Philistine warriors and you know, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's fantastic. What's the elephant in the room? There are tens of thousands of Philistine warriors so we're asking at this point of the chapter, how do they win the war? What happens? But you see what happens. Do you? What happens? This divine, this supernatural confusion falls at this moment on the Philistines and the very ground beneath the soldiers begins to shake and we understand what's happening, don't we? We realize who's fighting here, who wins this war, who wins it? Jonathan, the army, it's God. Listen to the words. God fights alongside Jonathan. And I think that should spur us on to action at London City Presbyterian Church. Because what do you know if you're a Christian this evening? You know that just as God was with these people, just as God was with his people throughout Scripture, what is true for us in our witness, God goes with us as we engage the world. And I think, honestly, friends, that is the number one lesson from 1 Samuel chapter 14 tonight. And I want to say this to you, please hear it. You see tonight, the Almighty Everlasting Triune God, He is waiting for you. God, God is poised. God is ready and he's waiting that should you and should I should we take that first step of faith like Jonathan that God is ready to follow that up with potentially mind-blowing, unprecedented blessing should we just take that first step of faith and engage the world with the good news of Christ Jesus God ready, waiting for us and I'm saying isn't that exciting like isn't it exciting Isn't it that should we go out and should we be bold as Jonathan was bold and if we tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ that the very ground could shake. The very ground shake spiritually. And God with us, he might work and work his great work of salvation. We're going to close with a fourth thing. We've seen godly action contrasted, Christ-centered, confirmed. But godly action is also encouraging. Now, as we close this, do you know what we could do? We could focus on the next in a very long line of mistakes that Saul as king makes. Because there are now thousands of Philistines, and they're all fighting each other. And not surprisingly, this causes a bit of a stir, a bit of a noise. And so Saul's watchmen, they see it from Gebeah. They see and they tell Saul. Now, what does Saul do? Let me tell you what Saul is supposed to do. And this is why we read Deuteronomy chapter 20 earlier on. The king, prior to going into battle, was supposed to hear from the word of God. The priest was supposed to address the warriors and address the king prior to battle. And have a look at verse 19. Saul calls for the ark. He calls for the priest. The priest begins to speak, and Saul says, "Ah, enough of that. He says, withdraw your hand. Do you see it? The priest begins to address from the, the word of God itself, and Saul says, no, 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 we don't have time for that. So we could focus on that error. Tell you what, though, instead, let's close with this, the galvanizing. Inspiring effect that Jonathan's boldness has. I wonder, friend, have you ever been around a true, on-fire evangelist for Christ? Maybe some of those working at LCM have have been around this, but perhaps you have too. Someone who is just on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, a real evangelist. You ever met anyone like that? We had uh, someone like this. In Kirkcaldy Free Church in Scotland, when we moved there, this was an amazing woman. Because it didn't matter where she was, it didn't matter who the people were, she was telling them about Jesus Christ. Amazing. I mean, you, you maybe be at the train station with her going into Edinburgh, and before you know it, you pick up your bag, you turn around, she'd be talking to a stranger, saying, can I tell you about Jesus? Maybe out for a coffee with her, the same thing. Just tell them, everyone, you know, can I tell you about the gospel? Can I tell you about Christ Jesus? Can I tell you what he's done for me? Amazing thing. Now, what was beautiful about it, not just the witness, what was beautiful about it was how that inspired the Christians around her. You know, you saw her, and you saw her telling other people. And so what happens at Kikori Free Church? They see this thinking, it doesn't look that difficult. I'm going to do that. It inspired, it galvanized the people of God. Now, isn't that what you see in 1 Samuel chapter 14? Look at verse 21. Think about it. Because of Jonathan's faith and his boldness, what happens in verse 21? We're told that Hebrews, who had been living amongst the Philistines, so this is the people of Israel who are living in a way that they should not be living, what happens They turn on the Philistines. You see, they're galvanized and inspired. Look at verse 22. So the people, remember the people who've been hiding in holes, hiding in caves? They hear of Jonathan's boldness. They too begin to show themselves. You see, they too are inspired. They too are galvanized. And friends, isn't that an awesome thought? Because isn't it true that you and I, we live in an era of backsliding? Isn't that true? It's the church in the 21st century in the United Kingdom. We live in a time where Christians are backslidden. Isn't it? Isn't that what we see? We see this lethargy, this disinterest in holiness and obedience to God. This This, this aura, this atmosphere of backsliding. But look at this. Look what we've got here. Should you... Should we step out in faith and be bold? What is this knock-on effect we're seeing here? It may galvanize the Christians around us. That should you or, or, or me, if we tell people this week about the Lord Jesus Christ, it might have this rejuvenating effect on a congregation, on the Christians in London. Who's to say that this couldn't happen, that there's renewal right throughout the United Kingdom? You see? And isn't that what we need? Isn't that the bottom line? Why is all this important? Why are we talking about this? Isn't it because the good news that we have is the most precious thing imaginable? Isn't it? Why is this, this idea of witnessing or engaging in spiritual battle, why is it important? Because don't we have the most glorious message to share with people who are dying and who are lost? Don't we? What is the message that we have? Do you see it in 1 Samuel? Do you see it in Jonathan? Isn't Jonathan a type of Christ, a prefigure of Christ? What's the good news? Through the boldness of one man, an entire people have been delivered. What do you see when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 14? What has Christ Jesus done? He has scaled the seemingly impossible heights of perfect obedience. And What has Christ done when he has got to the top? The cross, what has he done? He's engaged and defeated all of our enemies. All of the forces of darkness at the cross. All of the forces of evil. And he has by himself brought salvation to us all those who are his isn't that the good news isn't that the news that we have to share couldn't we say verse 23 about Calvary look at it, do you see it verse 23 couldn't that be said of the cross couldn't it be said of Golgotha that the Lord saved Israel that day friends may we Go out this week. And may we go out safe in the knowledge that God is with us. Let us tell the lost. Let's tell them of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray to you. And we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful account of bravery and faith inspired by an intimate, personal relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that Jonathan does indeed point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we feel and feel so guilty when we consider our silence. We do pray that you would grant us a greater understanding of your grace. Your goodness, that we would understand that evangelism is only effective in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we pray that it would be this natural thing for us, that we would be so filled with love for Christ, that we would tell people who are dying in their sin that they need not, that there is a salvation available, that they can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray... And we pray, worshipping you, in Jesus' name, amen.